Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. FPR will be for... DJR wants to remain at four. And we continue our chat with Tony Dalberto. Uh, takes that bit of pressure off me. You know, I, I wouldn't put myself in the same um, you know, class as someone like uh, you know, Lucas running the team himself at a very young age. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Take in the V8 of the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes. Ford Performance Racing has announced that they will be expanding to a four-car team, with Charlie Squawkolt announcing that he will be running his licence, which is currently managed by Dick Johnson Racing, in a deal which will be structured similar to Rod Nash Racing. Tim Edwards is thrilled that the team, who is experiencing their best season since taking control of the Glen Seton licences, is now able to boast super team status with four cars under their control. Dick Johnson Racing has released a statement saying that the team will be working hard to ensure that they maintain the four-car operation that they expanded to this year. It seems that Paul Morris's second licence, which is currently being run by Techno Autosports, may be committed next year to that team. But it was expected that the two Morris licences would reunite under the one roof in Queensland, and they hope as soon as next season. Alex Premitt spoke to the V8 Insiders about his year so far in the V8 Supercar Series. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's quite hard, I would say, until now, because um, we have been some, uh, yeah, we have been some through some really nice uh, track, like Tasmania was quite good. I think we made an improvement, and Hamilton was good as well, but we didn't, we didn't have a chance over there, but especially to, to set up the, the car and really good setup, but at the end, yeah. I'm happy to be here, but still, we have to be through a lot of things because still it's very hard for me to, to understand everything, the car, the new setup, because every time that we, we go back or when we, when we go to a new racetrack, new setup is in the car, so I need to, to, to understand many things. And uh, in so short time, it's, I would like to say it's, it's hard, but I think it's good because all the team really try to, to help me, to support me. and. Uh, but still, it's, it's hard, you know. Uh, in the past, in our sport car, DTM, or single-seater, I was always in front. And when you are really at the back of the field, it's, it's hard. You need to, to keep pushing all these things. But I think it will be fine in the next rounds, like I say every time. But uh, we need to, to face that, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's harder than I thought. We'll have more from Alex next week on the White Flag Lab.
Taz Douglas has told the V8 Insiders that he is frustrated by his results this season, the young driver telling us that he would prefer to have a senior driver for the Enduros when we asked his opinion before the announcement that Triple Eight driver Scott Pye was teaming up with Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport. Two ways we can go. We can get a young, inexperienced guy and... Um go there and kick around and hopefully finish in the top 15, maybe the top 10 if everything goes perfect. Um, or we can get an experienced guy and, you know, hopefully finish in the top five if everything has to go perfect, though. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure where Lucas is at with that, but, um, I, you know, I'd like a, an experienced guy personally, um, someone who's hopefully quicker than me, so <laughs> it takes a bit of load off. The new V8 supercar media rights deal is an interesting one which not only looks to cover the main game and Dunlop series but also affects the support categories like the V8 Utes and Carrera Cup. The V8 Insider spoke to Craig Denyer from the Utes and James Blakey from Porsche Australia about how they work with V8 supercars to secure TV rights and other media futures. James Blakey started by explaining the television deal for Carrera Cup. Yeah, as far as our principal broadcast is concerned, um, obviously the television production is done by V8 Supercars TV, so we're tied into um, that deal um, in terms of who the the principal rights holder is for that television, who, who broadcasts the television first. Um, once it's been broadcast on whoever that is, whether it's 7 or 10 or 9 or Fox, whoever ends up with the deal, um, we then have a two-week window where before we can then replay it. So we have our standalone deals then with Speed TV, with Motors TV in Europe, with um, Speed in North America, TV3 and NZ. Um, so those standalone deals we negotiate on our own, but the, the primary package is piggybacked off a V8 supercar package. Craig Denyer, what about the internet strategy for V8 Utes? No question, next year we have to be in a position where all our races are streamed live on, tele- on, on, on the web, and uh, that's all part of the complete new television and, and internet rights renegotiation through V8 supercars at the moment. James Blakey from Porsche Australia talks about the Carrera Cup perspective. Well, live races on the web um, is dictated by the, the access to the vision, um, and the access to the vision at this stage is V8 supercars television. Um, and our contract with V8 Supercars Television says that um, our footage must first be shown on seven, and then there's that two-week window um, before so it can be. That goes for web as well. Absolutely, yeah. Right, before it can be broadcast anywhere else. Yeah. Speaking to other categories, they're saying that a live web strategy is something they feel is very important. And with the rights being negotiated now, it's something they're working on right now. Is that something you need Absol- to start yeah, working absolutely. on now? So, and- yeah. Yeah. Look, it is certainly very important. Um, and, but it's something that has to be worked on through V8 Supercar TV because they're the guys that are broadcasting, they're the guys that are capturing the images um, and they have the rights to capture those images at the track. You know, um, you, 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 No support category can afford to have their own camera crew um, covering the races You know, and, and I don't know that you'd have the ability to bring your own television crew anyway. You, know, you wouldn't be permitted access. So um, you know, it, it, it is very important and it is something that needs to be negotiated um, and it is something he's being negotiated. Um, how all that falls out, we won't know. Certainly social media is where we put a full-time guy on every round now to come away with us and just, just work on purely social media for, for the Ute Series. Uh, and we've had great success at that so far. But I think that certainly by, by next year, 
you'd want to, every ute race you'd want to be make sure is streamed on the internet as well as being broadcast on free to air. With speed looking for more and more alive content, particularly on weekends where that's their weakness, Australian content on weekends, is the V8 utes in a position to go live on, on speed as well as what is on Channel 7? I guess that again all depends upon where the V8 supercar rights deal uh, lands and uh, and what the parameters of that are. But how much influence do you have on that? Well, we're a paying client. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, uh, where it's currently at is we've, we've had a new meeting with David Malone, the V8 Supercar CEO, who's got an enormous amount of television history and has been clearly brought in to renegotiate the rights deal. And in our initial meetings with David, we've said, look, you know, we're, we're working long term here. And uh, his answer to us was, well, go away, come back and tell us what you want, and, uh, and then we can sit down and see if we can make it part of the overall package. And what you've told me today is what you've told David? Absolutely, yep. Yeah, so, um, so we've got to go back to V8 Supercars, and I'm talking like literally in the next two weeks, and say, this is what we need moving forward as part of a new rights arrangement, and then he will then clearly throw that in the mix with their overall renegotiation, and I guess we'll see where we end up. Does that give you a little bit of loss of control of your own destiny, not being able to negotiate or not having to negotiate directly? Look, we have uh, excellent relationships with the network and we also bring a significant amount of revenue to the network over and above uh, what our own sponsorship deals are. I mean, you know, we're probably placed on the seven network this year in excess of $1.5 million in in um, supplementary revenue from Auto One, uh, Newlon, Yokohama and other key uh, supporters of the category. Icebreak was another one. So we have an excellent relationship with the network and we have an excellent relationship with V8 Supercars as well. So we are part of the mix and the discussion uh, but at the end of the day we are a support category. We need to stay with the main game and the main act and we need to work with the main game and the main act. I think it's fair to say that um, we've never really had a major issue with V8 Supercars and I think that they are now seeing the value of having partners that share the vision, that work with them and not against them, mm. and we all pretty much get on as one big happy family. Have you given David Malone a wish list of what you want as a category moving forward to try and get that integrated into what they're negotiating as a whole? Yeah, not at this stage. No, not at this stage. Do you expect to? Absolutely, we will. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Tim Slade has shown he has some more skills as a driver, the SBR ace becoming a tree dodger last weekend when he took the win on day two of the side-by-side rally challenge at the Australian Rally Championships. Slade and navigator Gary Ridden got off to a rocky start on the Sunshine Coast track and rolled their Polaris RZR 900XP on the first of seven stages on day one of the event. But they went on to finish the six stages of day two with the exact same time as their rival and eventual winners of the ARC round, Michael Guest and David Green. Slade said, It's great to see a class with an elite national title with a vehicle under $29,000. And they only used $200 in parts and fuel for the weekend. Coming into the weekend, I knew that... uh there was going to be heaps to learn um, because the whole rally thing is new to me. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's so many different things like checking in, checking out, and you got to do it on the second. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Normally in motor racing, you get there early. It's a good thing, but, you know, you can actually get penalised in this if you get there too early. So that's all, all been new, and um, my navigator, Gary, he's he's new to it as well. So um, it's been a big learning learning curve for both of us, but, yeah, it was good doing the um, the pace noting with Greg and Cody. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a skill in itself, and, uh, you know, you, you see why those guys are, are good at what they do. And finally, Jonathan Webb and his Techno Autosport team will hold an open day on Sunday, the 3rd of June, from 10am to 2pm at their base, which is Lot 7, 22, Eastern Services Road, Stapleton. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders. On the white flag lap, we look at part two of the interview with Tony D'Alberto. And after the break, Richard Crowell and Gary O'Brien will join me when we return on the V8 Insiders. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. After the greatest weekend of racing in motorsport, I donned that in Inside Motorsport this week, and I'm sure Richard Crowell from SBS Speed Week would agree. Good evening to you. Craig, g'day. Uh, you're right. Great weekend. Did the uh, did the full sprint right the way through. Uh, turned into a bit of an enduro about 3 a.m. about the 100 lap mark at the Indy 500. But we pressed on through and even got in some of the uh, the Charlotte 600 NASCAR as well. And that was fresh after a weekend at Shannon's Nationals, Phillip Island. So big weekend. Great stuff though, isn't it? And uh, how about that Indy 500? Yeah, it was fantastic. Dario Franchitti taking the win there. And of course, uh, well, we're expecting to see Dario back for the yeah. 600 up on the Gold Coast as Gary O'Brien joins us. And uh, Gary, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how many of those uh, indie drivers do make the trip this year because, uh, of course, the tragedy of uh, Dan Weldon did keep a few away last year. Yeah, g'day, Craig. G'day, Richard. Uh, uh, interesting. Um, we had Aussies on the, on the front row of those uh, free events that you spoke about, which is probably something you've never heard of before. Uh, but um, they've certainly been targeted. Uh, all the latest costs were suggesting that uh, some of the big names, even uh, Frank Giddy's, uh, been targeted to be coming out this year as well. So, And, of course, a lot of them didn't come last year because of the uh, the tragedy that happened just prior to the Gold Coast event. Mm. Well, it's certainly interesting back here at home because there was one V8 supercar driver that was still out there racing, and it looks like uh, Tim Slade has not only had a, a, a good run in Speedway previously, but he's uh, out there becoming a tree dodger. And uh, after a rollover on Saturday, Richard, he, he came back and, and did quite well, in fact, in uh, matching the times of Michael Guest, who was the eventual winner of the uh, ARC round up in Queensland. Yeah, we were talking about the side-by-side contest, which is a unique little thing. I think Slade was in a Polaris 
sort of off-roader and um, yeah, it's a unique category that's, that's a new initiative into the ARC this year and quite a unique thing. I, it's great that Slady, uh, amongst other V8 drivers, and there's a few of them now, that are starting to do other stuff in a racing car, not just V8 supercar, and we were chatting off-air about the days of a Mark Scaife running in the Gold Star and in V8s or the Touring Car Championship at the same time. So it's nice to see that A, team owners are, are letting people like Timmy go and do that rally stuff, but B, um, the drivers have a, an interest and a willingness to do that, which is great. So um, yeah, that's a, it's a good thing, and well done to, to Slade. If you can drive uh, drive a V8 supercar quickly, you should be able to drive just about anything. So no surprise he's competitive. Mm. Gary, which V8 supercar driver would you like to see in the Gold Star Formula 3 category? <laughs> oh, well, that, well, Tim Slade would be a good one to start with, and I covered most of those Gold Star events when... Uh, when Scapey ran in it, and and you got to remember too, Mark Larkham was yeah. involved in that series as well. At the same time, Paul Morris ran in um, open wheelers, but certainly um, I, I tend to think that the younger guys would do better out of it. And there is a, there is something you got to keep in mind too that um, touring car racing can teach you a lot of bad habits if you want to be a good open wheeler. So a lot of people, what they tend to do is do the open wheeler thing first, and then go back to what we call the tin tops. Mm, it's uh, interesting. It's an interesting thought. Maybe we could see a uh, a Gold Coast style race at some stage in the Formula Three Championship, where instead of having international stars, we have V eight stars. Richard, how about that? That uh, one's you, for free. You find me a budget for that, Craig, and I will make that happen. I promise you. <laughs> All right, uh, one team that's uh, obviously got a budget. They're on top of the world at the moment is for performance racing and with the announcement on the weekend that, well, officially they are now going to four cars, not that we haven't been talking about this for months, but uh, it is an interesting position for them to be in, Gary. Well, it is, but um, you bear in mind too that, the, you know, the two of those cars have their own um, owner and uh, supply driver, even though uh, Ford Performance Racing do all, all four of the cars, but that's something that uh, that the, Tim Edwards has wanted there for a long time. He's now got it with Charlie Schwarzkopf coming across with his uh, REC to from DJR to run there. And uh, you know, the next thing I guess is uh, who's going to be the driver. And, and, and the early mail is that it's going to be Chas Mostert, who's currently running around in development series. I think it's funny uh, Chas Mostert in the, some of the stories uh, that we see is. Losing his drive, and uh, of course that's because David Reynolds, Richard, has got his car, which he campaigned in the first couple of rounds of the development series, and uh, he's not giving it back. So Mossett's going to go to the Bottolo car for the uh, Dunlop series when it returns to the track at Townsville. Yeah, and of course it's just a matter of um, whacking some new vinyl up the side and away you go. But yeah, look, for, for full performance racing, the time's right to expand. If, if they'd done it, last year or announced these plans last year when they were at that ebb where they were struggling to get the soft tyre to work and they were uncompetitive, mostly uncompetitive. Um, they might have been, um, I don't know, they might have copped some bad publicity out of that, but now's the time to do it. It's a good business model. It's proved that it works. Um, you know, yes, other people own the, the licences, own the franchise, but it's not the only team that does that by any extent of the imagination. And we spoke about Tim Slade before. His Stone Brothers racing car is owned by James Rosenberg and the licence behind it. So it's purely a commercial thing, but, you know, four cars are better than three when it comes to getting data and getting information. And if you've got four top-level drivers behind the wheel and someone like Charlie will be able to attract 
a good driver and that will help being at four performance racing because good drivers go to successful teams um it's all going to help so this is just sort of empire building in a way and making sure that team's as strong as it can be for the long-term future and make sure it continues to be competitive going on so you know well done good stuff it's the way the sport's going generally and i mean nascar's been on this four-car team bandwagon for a long long time uh, V8s are starting to catch up, and we've we've seen that this year with Dick Johnson Racing. We've seen Walkinshaw in the past have four cars. It's obviously the, a business model that works, and it works for the competition side as well. Clearly, uh, FPR thinks so anyway. Mm. Of course, uh, it's interesting because next year in 2013, Gary, it's going to be car of the future, and there's no guarantees who's going to be building a good car of the future car. Well, the, the the model that they all use is supposed to be all the same, so it shouldn't really matter who's putting them together. And it, it's so tight on uh, making all the cars as as even as possible that uh, they'll be fairly well regulated. You know, as you, as you've we've heard in the past, you know, double double spring, double dampers, and and such like are all be outlawed. So no ingenuity in that side of the things will be there. So I guess um, it's going to be a fairly even playing field, but um, I remember Craig Baird telling me years ago when he first drove it uh, uh, for one of the HRT cars that uh, the cream will always rise to the top and we'll always see those teams that are currently winning races or thereabouts will still be winning them. Mm. And that's where Car of the Future is going to work well, or going to four cars is going to work well for FPR because all of a sudden they'll have four cars they can draw on when they go testing to get data for car of the future and set the car up quicker so they can try one thing on Chas Mostert car if he is indeed in that they can try one thing on Wilbur's car one thing on Frosty's car one thing on um, on um, the the Botlow car as well on Reynolds car and then you know they can learn faster so the more cars the quicker they're going to be able to get the car of the future dialed in so it serves as an advantage for them as well mm. it is interesting because uh, with Charlie's license going to FPR the big question and focus comes on to Dick Johnson Racing now, and obviously uh, everyone had everyone knew that they had uh, joined the Paul Morris license, and Paul has two of them. So the natural assumption is that the Morris license will go to Dick Johnson Racing. They will stay at four cars. But one of the rumours I've heard, and I haven't been able to get it cleared up yet, is Techno Motorsport had a two-year deal with yeah. that Morris license, and uh, that hasn't been confirmed if there was a way that they could get that back. Well, there's an, I think there's an agreement in place, or it may, may, may be a contract, it might be verbal, but uh, there's some suggestion that uh, PMM may sell one of theirs to Techno, so that's, that's in the background as well. Hmm. Yeah, the, the understanding I, I read is that, that Techno have a, a two-year program on that license they're leasing from Morris, it would make sense in this tie-up that there now is between DJR and, and Morris Motorsport and, and in that effect the Quins as well because, of course, they're involved mm. with um, with the VIP sponsorship of Steve Owen with the, the Paul Morris licence. The dude will be driving that car with, with Stevie O later this year. Um, the Quins are in bed with the Morrises at Norwell and with uh, GT and Aussie Racing Cars. So it's all very closely linked. It makes sense, but if there's a contract in place, Techno is not just going to give up that license, especially with how well they've been going lately, so there needs to be a resolution somewhere down the road and um, yeah, whether Steve Webb's able to go and, and throw some money at it and buy the license or whether there'll be some kind of settlement, who knows but um, it's the big question for both teams and DJR have been very clear about the fact they want to stay at four cars hasn't worked so far, has to say they've had a horrible year, so 
maybe going back to threes the ideal way for them at the moment focus mm. on what they've got yeah it is interesting and uh, hopefully webby hasn't been just uh, leaving the contract on the breakfast bar wondering whether you should sign it or not uh, as uh, we saw perhaps with something that happened last year hey with the reduction of wrecks we've got a payout now that the teams receive and it is considerably less than what they used to be getting gary do you think that some of these teams might be saying, well, we probably want to drop down to about 25 so we can up our income, particularly with the new media deal on the horizon. What, have less cars on the grid, you mean? Mm. No. Because no, no, they have no really way. taken a big hit in their financial return. Yes, but that was well, a decision, if I can jump in, Gaz, that was a decision sure. that the teams took. Remember, they, they agreed to sell half the business to Archer Capital. That's why they're getting less return on their licences. So they made the call yeah, to take cool. a payout now rather than, and, and with the understanding that with half the business now sold, their income would reduce by that corresponding amount, they took that business decision amongst themselves to make that call. So, yeah, that, that, just to clarify that, that, that was their decision in the first place. So they, they knew what they were going into. I think they went into it with eyes open and they, they knew very well that they were going to get less money out of the sport Having said that, they got a massive win for when they basically got a million bucks or two million bucks each for their license and still hold the license. Mm. Uh, Gary, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I agree totally with what Richard says, and I can't see the numbers dropping at all. Mm. It's an if interesting. Anything, I think eventually they might go up at one or two. Would be surprised. I can't. I can't see a license. I can't see the licenses going up. No, or the numbers, the numbers going up. No, I can't see the numbers going up if. The reduction, if there's a reduction on their payout, I could see them potentially saying, Richard, will you want to put a car in the V8 supercars? Well, you only get prize money. You don't get appearance money. No, that, that, that can't happen though. The, the way, the way the sport is structured and the way that these teams and, and the licenses behind them have the value built into them, the, the value the value isn't in the team. The value is in the piece of paper that the team operates under. Mm-hmm. So they're not going... They won't contract the sport because, A, they'd have to buy back the licence. And if you went... If you're a V8 Supercars or Archer and you want to cut cars out of it and you want to buy a licence back, you go to Paul Morris and say, we want to buy one of your licences back. Paul Morris will go, right, it costs you 50 million bucks. <laughs> and uh, it's just not feasible. So that, that's not going to happen. That's why you um, wouldn't go to Paul Morris. <laughs> well, yeah. At the same time, they're not going to expand it because that will further dilute the pool of money that it is. 28 cars, I think, is the right benchmark. Um, it's proven to be sustainable in a bad economy. Um, when it's a stronger economy and there's more sponsorship in the sport and more investment in it, the licences will become more valuable because there'll be more money available with one. So you've got a licence, you can sell the sponsorship, you can make more money out of that licence, out of that franchise. So I think the business model at the moment is as good as it's ever going to be um, in terms of, of how it is, how many numbers there are, and I don't think reducing it's right. And I mean, we all remember the hull and cry there was when we went back to 28 cars um, especially at a certain race in October. So um, I don't think less cars is the option. People have this, this expectation there's going to be at least 28 cars on the grid, and uh, I think that's the way it's going to stay. Gary, there is two and cars unsponsored. Just, just on the end of that too, that Aussies have an expectation for fairly large grids, and uh, mm. they tend to, um, to to look down on the fact that if they go down, I remember back in the 90s when I was in England for a little while that even the English noted it, that 
what is this pension Australians have for big grids when they they say that no, they're not necessarily uh, the way you need to go to put on entertainment. But we've always been that way, and I, I think that'll remain. Mm, yeah. All right. We need to take a break here on the Vat Insiders. Plenty more when we return. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Gary O'Brien and Richard Crowell join me, Craig Ravel. And guys, is it too early to put the... Uh put the judgment hat on for the Alex Premitt experiment, Richard? Yes. Yep, too early. Uh, we're only four or five rounds in to a new season. Um, we all know how difficult these cars are to drive. Everybody talks about it, especially drivers coming from overseas who are used to racing cars that actually have grip and have mechanical grip and um, don't have this unique way of performing that a V8 supercar does. If I'm Gary Rogers, what I'm thinking at the moment is the speed is clearly there. He's had a couple of reasonable sessions, hasn't been able to put a weekend together yet. That'll probably come. But Gary, I get the feeling, is looking one eye towards 2013 with a brand new car. And remember, everyone's talked about it, car of the future. It's a lot more like a proper racing car, a GT car, where it has a lot more mechanical grip. Um, which is exactly what Alex Primar has been used to driving. Um, he'll go into that on a level playing field, everybody in basically the same car, but the upside will be that he will know every racetrack that we go to. So all of a sudden, they get uh, a very, very good racing car driver who actually has knowledge about it and is on a level playing field. So that's my guess. I reckon he's just uh, being a very cunning, wily Gary Rogers that we all know him to be. I, I think... Um, Pramat needs to do a better job, but that will come with experience and time in the car. And remember, these guys can't test. Like, there's four test days a year. They just don't get any time in the car unless they're at a race meeting. So, yeah, I think it's too early. All right, Gary, are you going to, for the first time this evening, disagree with Richard? No, I'm not. I totally agree with with what Richard says. And particularly on the basis of what he's used to being driving in Europe and... uh, you know, these next, next generation cars, clean slate for everyone, all start from the ground up. He could actually be more beneficial in that team in setup than some of the guys in, that have been running around in V8 supercars for a while because of the fact that he comes with that knowledge that the others may not have. Mm. Now, Poor Craig, Gary, he gets uh, the two of us on the show going, right, we might finally have a couple that actually get stuck into each other a bit. <laughs> We've been uh, in agreement on every point so far. I like it. I and, feel sorry for you, Craig. And you're I'm not going to disagree with me about the brand-new Lucky 7. We talked about Tim Slade earlier, and I didn't mention how good does the new paint job on the Lucky 7 car look. It is absolutely fantastic, and... If ever there was a car that looked like a NASCAR ready to go off to Austin, Texas, potentially in May next year, which I want to talk to you about, gee, that 47 looks great 
Richard? The, the, um, it certainly looks better than the old, old colour scheme, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, Richard? Yeah, I, I like it better than the uh, than the old one. I'm a massive fan of it. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Here you go. No. Disagreement. Well, it's not a disagreement. It's just a mild <laughs> yeah, that's right. factor. Um, I, yeah, it, it's okay. I I, I want to know how Stone Brothers Racing can have that when they have such a pretty car in the SP Tools car, which is arguably the best-looking car on the grid, I think. Um, yeah, I've never been a fan of the, the Lucky 7 car, and, yeah, it, it's better. like the big 47 on the side. It looks cool. Hmm. All right, what about, do you think V8 supercars will go to USA in May, Gary? Because as we well, know... Been, um, I think that's almost been confirmed now, hasn't it? Oh, I, I haven't had a confirmation email or phone call. But yeah, well, the, 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 the word is that they're saying May will be the date um, next year when they will be there. And um, I, can, I, can't, I can't see why they won't be. It's a motorsport month in America, isn't it, Richard? It is. Uh, I actually had a we had a, a bit of a gathering on Sunday night to watch the Indy 500 with a couple of uh, motorsport luminaries uh, that shall remain nameless, but quite a fair amount of um, of pulling power in the motorsport media uh, gathered in one place to watch um, watch the Indy 500. I don't count myself in that by any standard. Um, and I can tell you, there are a lot of discussions about how good would it be if the V8s are in Austin in maybe the middle of May, and how convenient that would be to facilitate a trip to perhaps the Speedway at the end of May for the 500. So I can guarantee <laughs> you that if the V8 supercars announce uh, the V8, that they're going to Texas in May next year, there'll probably be about 30 members of the Australian motorsport media booking a extended two- or three-week vacation to the States um, to take in a little bit more motorsport in and around that with um, the V8 supercars going over there as something of an excuse. No, dear, no, I've got to go over there for work. The V8s are racing. It just makes sense to stay over. See how easy that is, Gary? You can prepare that for your uh, your lovely Great. Um, can you back me up on that one? Yes, my friend, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've, I've already got that one. Uh, I've already lined that one up with the worshipful mistress there. Uh, and uh, it's going to be, it is going to be great. Hey, finally, the old Eastern Creek circuit has been announced as the circuit for the new Sydney Motorsport Park. Are we surprised? Not really, but it's only a name. It'll always be called Eastern Creek, as far as I can can see and most people that uh, have mentioned it to me have said yeah it's still eastern creek it'll always be eastern creek i, I think Craig, i'm going to ask you a question do oh, you okay. think this the v8 should have run the new circuit or the existing 3.9 grand prix circuit i think they had to run the existing circuit because the tarmac of the new circuit isn't down yet it isn't weathered in and there's no point sending the v8s there Running them on the new circuit, and at the end of the end of the end of the weekend, the new circuit is ruined because it's all been torn up. So I think the practicality is they had to go and run on a circuit at Eastern Creek, and the longest extension is not ready for these cars to run on it yet. And so um, that's I'll have to disagree with you there. Oh, we both disagree oh. against Craig. No, I, I disagree. Um, the new circuit's going to have at least two state rounds on it before we get to V8 Supercar Racing, plus mm-hmm. 365 days of, of running. Well, not 365 days, but you, every day there's something that's going to be occurring on it from now on in. So I don't think track surface is going to be an issue. I, I think 
if you're the ARDC and your V8 supercars and you're both trying to push to get around back there in the future, and let's let's be honest, the ARDC probably wants around, and V8 supercars are using this as a big backup in case Homebush goes uh, pear-shaped. Um, I reckon you go and run the new track. What a great PR venture. You know, first major series to run the new circuit, you know, this unique extended track. There's a couple of great corners on there. Gaz and I have had a look at it at the, the Shannon's Nationals around earlier this year. It looks really good. Um, you know, why wouldn't you do it? You know, it's a PR thing. It's a media thing. It gets the drivers talking. They'll, they'll talk it up. They'll get involved. They'll have a debate about it. You know, yes, we should use it. No, we shouldn't. Um, you get all those different little avenues instead of just going the same old, same old route, um, which I agree is the safe option, sure. But I think, um, come on, let's use a new track. Let's get it out there. Let's um, let's give Sydney fans something new to look at at Eastern Creek. Right, uh, he, Sydney uh, Park. Here's, here's my defence of the indefensible. One, you don't want Eastern Creek to be a success because you want Homebush to be a success. Two, teams don't want to go to the Eastern Creek track, reason being they have to pay to get there. And so that's why we're doing a two-day meeting to try and cut the cost down because they've gone from an overseas round, all expenses paid, to an Australian round when they're going. They're going anyway. But they have data for the old track and they don't want to have to go out there and re-engineer their whole weekend. And here's my here's the coup de gras. Why not get Sydney Motorsport Park back on the calendar in 2013, and it will be a new car on a new circuit, and that's your PR media coup to get everyone out there. Now I don't think it'll have as much effect the second year round as it would the first, and. I, I appreciate your argument about the data and all that, but come on. These are professional <laughs> racing car teams that employ 60 people, the big ones, to pour themselves over computers during the week to try and make these racing cars go around a circuit quicker than the next bloke uh, or lady, as it may be. Um, if they can't work out an extra 800 metres of bitumen in setup, well... They should probably go and do something, go go kart racing or something like that. It, so it yeah. sort of arcs, it arcs back to when Winton extended. What yeah. you know, what difference is it going to make there? And they jumped at that idea straight away. But um, they're probably doing it on a safety setup alone. Uh, for 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 what Craig suggested was data. I don't necessarily agree. It's the right way to do it, but they'll do it for that reason. And um, they're even talking that the support racers may use the new track, whereas the V8s won't. Well, that makes absolutely no sense now. No, that's I I, 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 I just think that is... That is absolutely The ARDC will Mm. obviously control what what runs in the... how the support categories run, being a two-day meeting as well. Mm. Uh, I guess that's the big thing. Uh, I haven't... I haven't seen the announcement of who's going to be running with them. It would be interesting. Well, they haven't, haven't yeah. announced it yet, but they, what, they, what the ARDC has said is that they may run the support categories on the longer new parts, including new part of the circuit, and the V8s, as already stated, will run on the 3.9-kilometre circuit. I, I, look, I honestly, I honestly would like to have seen them just use the short circuit. I, for some unknown reason, I just think the short circuit... Yep is a good circuit as well. And if you really, you know, I, I, I used to commentate there and the whole thing around the back of Corporate Hill, particularly when there's no crowd there, when we used to do the Amscar series there, you know, that whole thing around Corporate Hill was just, honestly, 
you were waiting for paint to dry until they came back into view. Yeah, but in the modern age of um, big screens and replays and all that kind of stuff, it's not so much of an issue. Oh, look, I, to be honest, I think I, I, I think they should use a short circuit. Um, yeah, I agree. I, oh, come I on, like, you can't I all like agree with me now after you've been disagreeing for the last five minutes. The, <laughs> the new dog leg they've put in there is fantastic, and Gary knows that better than anyone because he called the um, the the six hour or the eight hour race there eight or six. It was one of the two uh, last end of last year. And well, it was great. Well, it was there for yeah, and it was great yeah. to watch. If you ever got a chance to to go over and have a look, get on going into the pits and then walk over to what used to be turn four, but now becomes a a corner of the opposite way and a, and a and a rise and a fall like a, like a mm. dog leg at Oran Park, and it's awesome to watch your cars because the cars understeer. It's just and that's because it's off camber, and it, it's just phenomenal to watch in there and just how much speed they carry. Mm. I, I think. I think if we agree on anything, there has never been a better race meeting at Eastern Creek than the first A1 GP weekend. Oh, I agree on that, 100%. Yeah. Completely. Great, greatest thing ever. Uh, well, I, I might disagree on that one because I, I thought that when NASCAR and Oscar came up and ran on the short shortened circuit there, that was pretty phenomenal. Mm. They were good cars to watch. And they were using not quite the, the flip-flop at C now, but it was really good to watch them go through there. The only trouble is they put a concrete wall down one side of it and many a car hit it as a result. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, uh, well, it's interesting to have you both on the show. We finally disagreed on something, which is great. And uh, look forward to catching up with you both very soon as, uh, well, everyone makes the trek up to Darwin in a few weeks' time. Oh, looking forward to Darwin. It'll be warm. Thanks, guys. Always good fun. Thanks. Yeah, all the best. See you later. The White Flag Lap is up next here on the Vad Insiders, where we hear the second part of our interview with Tony Dalberto. I hope you stay with us. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap, we continue our chat with Tony D'Alberto. At the end of last week, of course, you'll remember that Tony was talking about what his team might do in 2013 with the car of the future. Well, this week I put to him, does he have teams coming to him asking for him to buy their equipment or are they going to the teams that will be producing cars next year? Oh, look, I mean, we've spoken to uh, all the main teams up down pit lane. Uh, you know, FPR obviously at the top of our list. Triple uh, Eight, uh, Kelly's, uh, Walkinshaw. You know, we've spoken to everybody. Um, so, like, yeah, it's uh, we've got all the information that we need now. Uh, it's about us sitting down and going through it all, and and also involving our guys. Um, to get some information from them as well because um, and some thoughts because um, you know we don't know everything there is to know and uh, you know we appreciate their their support so um, we just need to put it all down on the table and lay it all out obviously cost is a big thing but also you know for longevity with the team it's got to be competitive and uh, if you're not competitive then you're wasting your time and the biggest challenge is no one knows what car is going to be competitive next year. Mm. So if we were going the same style of car for next year or, you know, we were just looking at upgrading our car, mm-hmm. then, you, you know, you could go, well, for, you know, FPR's quick, uh, 888 always quick. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Walkershaw probably not at the moment as much. Um, so you might, you know, it's a bit of an easier decision. But, you know, like Dick Johnson Racing or someone like that could build a car and their front end up, uprights and everything just suit that car mm-hmm. and away they go. You know, Triple Eight could struggle. But the biggest thing with, you know, being aligned with someone like Triple Eight or FPR or Walkinshaw is, you know, hope they get on top of the problems quicker. Yeah. You know, but d- doing it yourself, we could never build the car ourselves. We're just not equipped for it. And, you know, being a single car operation, trying to engineer the car totally... Uh, you know, relying on ourselves is a big call because, you know, I've got no one to bounce ideas off. I've got no other drivers to talk to about it. No, you know, Adam, my engineer, has no other engineers to talk to about it. So it's a tough one. <laughs> you are a young driver on this pit lane. Yeah. You've made the decision, like John O'Webb, to go in balls and all and create a main game team. Yeah. Where do you see young guys coming into the sport in the next year and, and next two or three years and how <laughs> yeah there's some good guys in DVS at the moment that are really knocking on the door uh, and there's some really experienced guys in, in DVS as well and in Carrera Cup so you know guys like Alex Davison you know there's, there's Daniel Gaunt there's Luke Yulden there's uh, you know obviously Chaz is going very well um, you know you've got Nick Perkett there's a lot of guys there that are knocking on the door um, and you know, there's probably a few guys down pit lane as well that are probably getting to the end of their their career as well. So certainly, I think uh, there's spots that will open up. Uh, obviously, not within my team at the moment. But uh, look, I mean, I'm obviously not going to drive forever. Um, but at the moment, I'm, my main focus is driving. You know, and I'm pretty lucky that I've got um, you know a good support network behind me. Uh, like my dad, he's very involved in it all. Um, takes that bit of pressure off me, you know. I, I wouldn't put myself in the same, um, you know, class as someone like, uh, you know, Lucas running the team himself at a very young age. Obviously, I've got an input, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm guided by other people. And um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say, you know, like the way Dan Fiore was running his team last year, he was a man. He made the decisions, and obviously got some advice from his dad. But he was trying to run the whole show. Where it's a little bit different in our in our organisation, I'm a little bit separate from it, mm-hmm. uh, which helps me, uh, you know, focus on driving. I said to Dean last year, what was the reaction when you buy a team and then Archer came in? Yeah. And he did say his old man gave him a pat on the back and said, well, that was a good move. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you could never predict something like that. And obviously we're in the same boat. We bought the licence at the same time and um, we did pretty well out of that. But, um, you know, we've spent a lot of money over the years getting to where we are, so... Um, I wouldn't say that we're, like, uh, you know, buying a yacht and going sailing. But, but uh, then again, you're going to be spending a lot of money next absolutely. year as well. So that's absolutely you know, you've yeah. you've seen how much you've spent and you've seen how much you got from Archer. Yep. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully you. <laughs> no, but, no, that's right. I mean, it won't cost us, but you know, four million bucks to build a car. But it's uh, it's all the years that you've spent money trying to get to where you are, I guess. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting with things like the TV rights and things coming up soon um, because, obviously, it's very important to the income um, of the licence. So, uh, you know, that's uh, probably, you know, it's, it's, it's extremely important. I know the team there, you know, Archer and, you know, Tony Cochran, they're working really hard to try and secure that pretty soon. It's interesting times ahead. Tony, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of the season. No worries, thank you. My thanks there to Tony D'Alberto, also to Richard Crail and Gary O'Brien. 
as the Checker Flag waves over another edition of the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.